Welcome to the Transformation Podcast. My name is Chris Sanchez, and I'm joined with Darren Davis, pastor and senior leader here at the Harbor Church. Darren, thanks for sitting in here and talking about this episode today. Love it. Love what God is doing through these podcasts. It's so powerful. Today's episode is with Luke Melms. Luke is a face that you've seen around the harbor, if you've been around the harbor for any amount of time. And his story is one of life, death, transformation, sickness, healness. He just takes us all through the, the washer and dryer cycle of redemption in Jesus. So what were your takeaways, Darren, of, of Luke's story? Well, Luke holds a special place in my heart, just the way that we connected over the phone when he was living in Milwaukee, feeling this unction to move to South Florida. Normally, I would just be like, who is this person? This is crazy. This guy that's never even been to South Florida feels this calling from God to move. But there was such a sincerity, such a, a an authentic hunger when we had these conversations. And he just made this radical move, took a job down here, didn't know anybody, started coming to the harbor. And I have seen in the time that he's been around our community, just a complete, complete inside out transformation of a man's life. And, and like you mentioned, all of the miracles really, and you'll hear this in the story. And I think so many men, really everybody, I think, because we're programmed to live this way is going to identify with a person who really, he was a go-getter, type A personality, athlete, all about in his upbringing, hey, I can do it. I'm going to make this happen. And the more he tried, the more he failed. And I think when he let go, came to the end of himself, like Jesus said, hey, if you want to find life, you're going to have to lose it. There's a real key and there's a real mystery that I think is unlocked in this testimony. And so we look forward to inviting you guys to join us again for story of another life that's transformed. Luke Melms. Dude, it's good to have you on the Transformation Podcast, man. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Where's Melms from? Like what, what, what background, what nationality Melms? Good question. So my, my roots are very, very German. Oh, gotcha. Both sides of my family, my mom and dad, very, very deep German roots mm. came over to Milwaukee in the 1800s, kind of like South Florida, where you can be in Miami and only speak speaking Spanish. That was what apparently German was in Milwaukee in the 1800s. They literally had signs that said, oh, we only speak uh, German. So it's, it's a very German town. And when did you, what was the story of how you ended up down here in South Florida? <laughs> yeah, I guess a lot of that has to do with why we're talking as far as the transformation that's taken place in my life. But I moved here in February of 2016. So it's been five years. I'll try to make a, a long story rather short. And the short story is that beginning in 2013, I knew that I wanted to move. There were some, some things that I needed to do before that was going to be possible. But that began the process of, of saying, I'm going to move. And 
as I look back, I tried to move to a lot of different places. I interviewed in different states. I thought I was moving to Denver without a, a, a doubt. That plan crumbled. And I remember it being January of 2015 and being very, very cold and saying, I don't have a plan anymore. And I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried very hard. God, please open a door because I, I do want to move. So you do have a relationship with with Jesus. You're a Christian at this time and you're trying to leave your home to look for somewhere else. Yep. Okay. So it seemed like you were, I guess, own strength, own effort. What was that process like where you're communicating with God? Like, hey, listen, I want to move. Where are you leading me? Where are you taking me? Yeah, I guess I, I did. I mean, in 2013 was really the beginning of surrendering certain things. And I hit a certain, I guess, rock bottom in a way that led me to say, okay, I'm going to stop trying to do my life my way. And I'm going to begin to to do some things that I don't necessarily want to do. But I believe that God was leading me down a different path. And, and really repentance is you're walking one, one way and you do a U-turn and say, I'm, I'm going to stop walking in a certain direction. And for me, that's how I would describe 2013 is I really had to surrender some things that were difficult. I actually stopped going to college in between my junior and senior year. And that was in 2010. And I went on an entrepreneurial venture that didn't quite work out the way that I thought it would. I had moved out of state at one point. And in 2013, I really was not in a good place in a lot of different ways. I, I didn't have a college degree. I had kind of crawled back to, to where I was. I had to move back home to my parents. From a health standpoint, was not in a good place, which was the beginning symptoms of what I ultimately got diagnosed with after I moved here. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna try to do this anymore my own way. So I ended up going back to school and I knew that I needed that college degree because I had enough credibility in Milwaukee that I probably could have figured it out and gotten away without it. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to move for my health. There was reasons why I was told it may be advantageous for me to move. And I was willing to do it. So I went back to school and I finished my degree at almost 26 years old, which was a pretty humbling process being in, in a classroom with 20, 21 year old kids, but it was a decision that I made and I had to live with the consequences of it. It was, it was a humbling process, but I, I don't regret it because I had started a business in high school and I sold knives in college and I made a lot of money. Cutco? And was it I Cutco? sold Cutco. Yep. <laughs> I'm very familiar with Cutco. And I guess the, the best way to describe it is, you know, for me, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family, but I was a rich high school and college kid and I could do whatever I wanted. And I felt like it was because of me. And so this process of losing everything, I, I mean, I, now I wasn't, I was not a rich 25 year old. I wasn't in good. I wasn't in a, a place health wise that was, was good. And just a couple of years prior, I'm a college baseball player. Just from an image side of things, like business-wise, I don't have it going on. I used to, I mean, it's terrible. I see these things pop up on Facebook, you know, 12 years ago, this is what you posted and I can't believe it. Mm. I had no 
no shame. I did not hide at all that I thought I had it going on. So this whole process for me of losing all these things led to just having to say, I'm not, I can't do it anymore my way because there's, there's no more, you can't really go any, any worse than, than how I've gone. Like I created my plan and the shortcut I thought I was taking was actually taking the longest way to get to where I was trying to go. Before we talk about rock bottom or your diagnosis or this humbling process that you went through, let's kind of go back. What was your family life with regards to Christianity, knowing Jesus? Who was Jesus to you? Lay the groundworks as to your upbringing in that way. So, I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school from preschool all the way through high school. Me too. So I can't really tell you a time that I ever can recall not knowing who Jesus was. I think of the verse in Proverbs where it talks about, you know, raise up a child in, in the way that they should go. And I think my parents did a very good job of that. The difference for me was college. I went off, like for me, going to college was the first time where I got to step outside of, I guess, this bubble that I kind of lived in. Mm. And I specifically remember going off to college, just kind of saying, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, this will be interesting. I'm, I have this, this independence that I've never had before. So then you go to college, you're in this time where you're going to step out and kind of do things on your own outside the bubble. Like you said, were you apathetic in your relationship with Jesus? Did you kind of just put on the back burner? Like what, what was your heart at in this time? Yeah, I would say kind of, if there's a line, I guess kind of a foot on each side of the line is probably the best way to describe it. I would go to church Sunday morning. I got involved with InterVarsity on campus, but I had a particular friend that I I developed who really helped say, Luke, like, this is college. We should have some fun. And I'd go to parties and I wouldn't drink, but I'd go to parties. And the reason that I didn't drink, to be really honest, was that I dealt with massive anxiety and I dealt, dealt with massive anxiety going back to eight, nine, 10 years old. I mean, anxiety that goes beyond what any eight, nine or 10 year old should ever have. And so for me, the anxiety of literally being at a party and having alcohol and having cops show up was, would have been so high that I wouldn't have enjoyed two seconds of it. And that was a very fine line to walk because when I did turn 21 and then it was legal, I chose to drink. And that that was kind of a new introductory to like, oh, wow, this alcohol actually makes me feel different. This anxiety that sometimes I've dealt with, whether it's, you know, talking to girls or whatever it may be, like it kind of disappears. And so college was was an interesting period of time for me, I guess is the best way to describe it. Where do you think this anxiety came from? If you could look back and kind of... I mean, my family genetics, uh, I would say it's a multi-generational thing. Like mental mental health has not exactly been something that in the, the genetic lineage on both sides of my family has been crystal clear. I specifically remember being eight, nine, 10 years old. My youngest brother's five years younger. And I can remember him wanting to, I mean, he was the youngest. He was a rebel. He would do whatever he wanted. He was adventurous. 
he'd want to go ride his bike around in the neighborhood, ride around the block. And I would be terrified that he would be kidnapped and we would never see him again. And just, I always, I dealt with just massive anxiety to the point where I was always thinking about, it was beyond just like being an older brother and wanting to be safe. It was crippling anxiety, which as more and more time went on, there was a a certain tipping point where, as I describe a balloon exploded and there was a crisis that I had to deal with from a medical standpoint when it came to anxiety. What was going on when you, when that bubble burst? This would have been the summer going into my freshman year of college. I, at two in the morning in July, began to have, my heart began to race like none other. And my head began to race. And I literally thought I was having a heart attack. And I didn't know what was going on. My is this mom's the first in- time. Is this the first time that you're going through this? Yes. I'd never dealt with it. I had never had anxiety that got to the point where it was beyond my control. And I remember going outside trying to get air and nothing was working. So I went and woke my mom up who was a nurse. And I was like, mom, I think I'm dying. I don't know what's going on. Up to that point, I would say my parents did a a very good job of, I guess, kind of sheltering us from reality in certain ways. I don't think there was certain things that we needed to get exposed to as far as family background with certain problems. But I was now, there was no hiding this because it was the reality that I was dealing with. I'll never forget being in the car with my mom and we're driving past Children's Hospital and Freighter, which is the main hospital, and just frantically telling her, like, if we don't stop here, I'm going to die. Because she said we were going to go to urgent care, but urgent care was a couple miles further away from the hospital. And I, I was just, I mean, I, I was convinced I was going to die. That's what it felt like. It felt like my heart was trying to jump out of my chest. And I thought I had heard at one point, yeah, if you have numbness in your arm, it's a, it's a sign that you're having a heart attack. So I was convinced this was my reality at 18 years old. Somehow I was going to die. And so, of course, we got to urgent care and they gave me a Xanax and some, some oxygen. And I went home. I said, all right, well, whatever. And then like a follow-up appointment, they said, if that ever happens again, here's some pills, just take them. It'll knock you out. I didn't really appropriately deal with the problem, I would say at that point. Was this rock bottom? Was this the rock bottom moment that you <laughs> talked about earlier? I, I, I wish that was not the rock bottom moment. So then you pass this incident, you know, you, you go through this experience you're back into college. You're playing baseball. You mm-hmm. mentioned what, what are you playing? What position? Like, what are you playing in baseball? Yeah, I played center field. So for me, you know, that was one of the things that I guess maybe ties into all of this. I'm not the biggest human being. Anyone that knows me wouldn't say, wow, Luke's, you know, got the ideal baseball body, but I just worked really hard and I was never the smartest in the classroom. I was never the biggest, fastest, tallest in sports, but I was willing to put in as much effort as humanly possible and say, I believe I have more potential than what people look, look at me from the outside because they don't know what's inside of me. They're seeing what they can see from the external, but they can't see the internal. Has that been a theme throughout your life? I mean, even past this, like people like being overlooked or underestimated, in your decisions and and basically in situations with people? 
I would say so. And it's, it's interesting because oftentimes it was people closest to me or that I needed it. I needed the affirmation most from certain people. And I not only got the least amount of affirmation, but got kind of rejected, I guess is the best way to put it. And that, that could have been in sports, certain coaches. And you're like, man, I need this person to be advocating for me. And it feels like they're, they're not working for me. I mean, I'm not saying this was every coach that I ever had. I'm just saying though, that there was certain incidents where it was like, Oh, Oh, well, again, there's a, there's a change coming. There's a shift where God changes you, but we had mentioned before about rock bottom. So you get this diagnosis, you're playing baseball, you're in college, lead us to where the path was, where your life starts to change around you, either where you head to rock bottom or things start to set up before you have that big drop. Yeah, I think most people would probably describe rock bottom with the diagnosis in 2017 that I got with, with Crohn's disease. But for me, that was, that was not rock bottom in my life at all. For me, rock bottom was 2013 when I, I had to come to the end of myself and, and really surrender. And I remember specifically a prayer that I said before I went to bed. And literally, I woke up to an email in 2012 that got me heading in a different direction than the way that I was going. And that led to me moving back to Wisconsin. Moving back to Wisconsin led to me being able to get some medical help that started to get me to a better place. I was able to get back in school, finish school. And I got this job that actually helped get me to South Florida. Well, what was that prayer? What was that prayer? What were you asking for? I just remember going to bed saying like, God, I I just can't keep doing what I'm doing right now. This plan that I came up with clearly didn't work and I don't want to do it anymore, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so unless you show me a different way to do this, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. And I literally woke up the next morning to a message, an email from someone that had contacted me and, and he had started a company that was up and coming and doing well. And I had known him a couple years back and we ended up having a conversation. He interviewed me and, and I ended up moving back to Wisconsin and accepted that job. And that got me back to a place that was taking me in a different direction from trying to, to just make this, this opportunity that I left school for materialize into something. I needed to realize that that wasn't going to happen. And I needed to, do, I needed to go in a different direction, but I didn't know what to do. And I, I laid it down. The fact that I was willing to surrender this plan, because it's easy to like double and triple down on something when you've made something, you know, very public, like that I wasn't going, I, I did school. So it was, it was tough because quitting that had to then admit to have made, making a mistake that what you did was wrong. Mm. And that was tough. For anyone who is listening and maybe they're feeling a sense of rock bottom. Can you describe what it felt like even in your just your day-to-day looking at things where you start to realize, man, this is not where I want to be. And then talk about once you felt that breath from the Lord, just like saying, hey, listen, here's an email. That's the first step 
into laying everything down and following me in the path that I have for you? So I would say there's a common theme through different things that I experienced that there was things that I said I would never do. And I ended up doing them. If you're in a place where you're like, I'm not sure what to do, you may want to check what are the, what are some things that you said that you weren't going to do? Because that may be part of what God's plan is for you. And that may be why you're actually in the place that you're in is because you've been following your own plan and you haven't been following God's plan. Obviously, everyone's circumstances are different, but I found that to be a theme in my life. I even said to someone who was a friend that moved to South Florida a year before I moved here, he said, have you ever considered moving to South Florida? I said, I'll never move to Florida. I will never. I remember after I left school, some people questioned, you know, why did I do it? I said, I'll never, I don't need a college degree. I'll never graduate. Well, again, I said never. And that was actually part of the path that, that God had for me. And it's also the other part is not trying to figure out everything that's going to unfold. The best things that have happened in my life, I couldn't have planned. So when I, when I decided to go back to school, that led to things that I never dreamed of in, in so many different ways. And the part that I would say is that when you're willing to lay it down, God will put people in your life that will tactically advocate for you. So to give you a small glimpse of what that looks like, when I left school, my school had gone from Carroll College, the oldest higher education institution in the state of Wisconsin, older than the actual state of Wisconsin itself, to Carroll University. And because everything changed, they, I was told if, if you actually leave school, you're going to have to do a whole bunch of things over. And so when I went back to try to re-enroll in school, they said, yeah, you can re-enroll, but all these classes that you previously took, they're not going to count. And you're going to have to take all these extra credits. And I appealed it to the provost of the university. I gave her all of my medical records. I, I wrote her a letter and I said, this is my story. And I'm in a bad place. Here are the medical records to prove it. I need to leave the state of Wisconsin. And... I need to do it as fast as possible. The only way that I can do that is if you're willing to let me finish school as if I never left and not have to redo all of these things that I, I don't really understand why it makes a difference, literally because the school's gone from college to university. And she gave an exemption. She overrode this and she became my advocate. And she gave me a chance that, allowed me to, to move forward with my life. Before we go into moving forward, have you felt in this whole time before the transformation starts to happen, was there a pressure that you felt about finding the path, like the path that God has for you? I know a lot of people, me included, have struggled, sometimes still struggle with, well, what's the path that God has for me? What, what are, where, where does he want me to go? Have you dealt with that? Have you struggled with that at all? What were some of the things that you've learned about kind of in your journey on trusting the path that he has for you? I think it, it really is about surrendering and finding a place where you feel that God speaks to you clearest and giving that up and, and not going with an agenda. And I believe that, that that's when God can speak clearest to us and, and show us 
practical things, not just pie in the sky, like things that aren't applicable to our actual life. I believe that the thoughts that you're having aren't coincidence. They aren't just random thoughts that pop into your head. I really do believe that they're, it's how God can communicate to us. So I guess that would be my most practical advice. Down here in South Florida, maybe it's walking the beach at night when there's no one else there. It's a very quiet place in a rather hectic part of the world. You have the university accept you. You said your health was starting to deteriorate. Was that you already had your diagnosis or not yet? Not yet. So at that point, I had that episode going into college. And then there were certain things that continued to deteriorate in college. And then that summer of 2013, like in June, there was more lab work that showed how dysfunctional my my body was. And so it was the beginning of the inevitable, which which happened in 2017 after I moved here. But yeah, 2013 was really, really the the worst of the worst, in my opinion, because that's when I felt while God had showed me that I was supposed to go back to Wisconsin, I still had more questions than I had answers. So I, I knew who God was, but I felt like I had messed up so bad that there were certain things that I just couldn't be fixed at that point. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And it was tough. That was a tough place to be in. What does the transformation look like in your heart? What, what does it start to go from feeling like hopelessness and not knowing what to do to getting affirmed in who you are and affirmed in what he wants for you? What does that look like? I'm going to fast forward to 2015. And this is after I realized that Denver's not where I'm moving and I'm starting over. And I didn't think that God was throwing it out the window. I just thought maybe there's like God, you need to show me what the plan is. I need to, to not do this. And the long story short is I got introduced to someone in South Florida. When I actually got on the phone with him, I told him that I was moving to Denver. And that person actually is my current boss. Very cool. That conversation, I felt by the end of it that something was supposed to happen. I didn't know when, I didn't know how, but I just said, all right, this seems to be a potential new path. And I said, God, if this is really you and it's not me, and I'm supposed to move to South Florida after I've been running around trying to do all my own thing, then you need to make it obvious and you need to make it obvious in one way. And that is, if I move somewhere, you need to show me a church home. And that's actually how I found the Harbor from Wisconsin, listening to different sermon messages and the year 2015. That's when I would say this shift happened because I went from knowing God at an intellectual level to encountering God and beginning to understand who God really was, which then led to me understanding who I really was, what my identity was, and that God was a lot bigger than I thought he was. Well, what happened? When did that start to change? I guess just this was the further process then of me saying, I'm laying down, because I, again, South Florida, I had said, I had told a friend, I'm never going to move there. Right. So this was another step towards laying down my plan and saying, wow, God, like, maybe this is you. Maybe this is what you're, what you're showing me. And so certain pain in my life has actually led to transformation as, as crazy as that may be. I actually got shingles in June of 2015. 
And it was in that week. I don't know if anyone's ever gotten shingles that's listening to this, but it's the worst thing you'll feel in your life. And it knocks you out. Like I, I literally couldn't move. I just was on a couch for a whole week. And it was in that week that I actually booked a trip to come visit South Florida. Cause I said, well, all right, God, like if this is true, if you use all things for good, this is a part of all, this isn't very fun, but how can this be? I asked, like, that was a prayer that week. And God showed me, you're supposed to actually go visit this place called South Florida. And I had the opportunity to come to the Harbor. I was able to be there on a Friday night, night of worship, Saturday or a Sunday morning. And the message that Sunday was from a guest who came in and his entire message was on anxiety and fear. I can't really explain it. And if you told me who was this person, I couldn't tell you, but the service ended and someone came up to me. I just kind of was in awe of what just happened. And I just kind of stood there as the service ended, people are walking out and someone came over to me and said, I feel like the word, the Lord has a word for me. And they said, you've been released from a bondage. She said, I don't know what that means, but that's what I feel God was telling me to tell you. I don't know who this person is. They might still go to the harbor. Maybe they're listening to it. If you are, please let me know who you are. I don't know how else to explain it, but since that day, the anxiety that I dealt with in the worst of ways, I can't say I've, I've felt like that. And what was around the corner it's, it's hard to believe because the, the stuff that I went through after I moved here, getting diagnosed with Crohn's, that would have caused massive anxiety, panic attacks, and all these things layered on, onto it. And there's pictures of me in the hospital smiling, laughing, and just being like, awesome. If, if the devil thought this was going to take me out, n- not quite, because I knew who I was. I was so, so sure of my identity in God that there was nothing no circumstance was going to take me out. I mean, I moved here. I didn't have any family. I didn't have any friends. The reality was I was starting over. And I didn't feel like I was on this island by myself. I'm very grateful for certain people at the harbor who in that season stood by my side and really helped walk me through my most vulnerable moments, my most desperate of moments when you know, I was in the hospital for three days a week after I got diagnosed with Crohn's, I was back in the hospital three months later. And there was people that prayed with me. There's someone who allowed me the ability to stay at their house overnight when the doctor said, you can't stay by yourself. You were in the hospital, you underwent anesthesia, you had surgery, you can't be by yourself. This family did not, it was the last thing but convenient. They had just just had a baby. For me, it was- Who was it? Who was it? It was Ryan and Lindsay Groth. There you go. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful for them and their friendship, not only in, in those moments, but in the months and afterwards. Obviously, they move, they've moved since then. But the, the way to just describe all of this is that I went from having an intellectual understanding of who Jesus was, who God was, who the Holy Spirit was, but that doesn't transform your life. And like, I don't know how else to put it. It had to get deep and it needed to penetrate my heart. And that's been where the change has happened. Going from living a life that was very dysfunctional in many ways, today looks much more functional. And that's not because 
I said, all right, I'm done messing everything up. There's so many things that God has redeemed. And it's, I mean, it's impossible that I could have ever come up with some of the things that have happened in my life. Dude, amen. Like my heart is pumping just hearing this story. Can you share, give us a, a, a glimpse as to when you said having an intellectual knowledge of who God is and an intimate knowing who he is in your heart. Like, can you give an example of both something you of what you thought he was beforehand and then you had experienced him and it's, it's something different? You know, like I mentioned, I grew up in a Christian school. I mean, I went to church every Sunday. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that was a fact. I believe that when I died, I was going to go to heaven. And, you know, awesome. That would work out. I would say the biggest thing that I didn't really understand was that when Jesus died, he didn't just die to pay a price so that after I died, I would have eternal life, but that he paid a price so that while I'm here on earth, I could glorify him through the life that I lived. And that's, that was the price that he paid because he wanted others to be able to encounter the truth and have other people go from living a dysfunctional life to a functional life because he, he's created us. He, he wants, he has good plans for us. And I would say that's for me, one of, one of those things. And one of the things that layered onto this through all my health situation, I didn't have this understanding that that was part of it. So seeing things that are supernatural, which really just means above the normal, which is that's God. I didn't have that hope. My hope was, I mean, sure, God could do miracles, but I didn't have these people around me that I had praying, praying this into me and just pouring the truth into my life. So when I got diagnosed with Crohn's and I have doctors telling me, Luke, you have a chronic illness. You'll never be healed from this. We have no known cure. We don't even know what causes Crohn's. We're just going to try to make your life okay. I didn't accept that as the answer. And I said, Galatians 5.1 is a verse that really stuck out to me. And it was, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound, what they're telling me and that verse don't align. So one of them's right and one of them's wrong. And if I know the Bible is the truth, then what these doctors are telling me, I'm just not going to believe. And so that's, I've seen the transformation in my own physical body. I went from 125 pounds at my lowest point back up to the 155 pounds that I, I was when I actually was playing college baseball. It was scary to lose 20% of your body weight and look like a skeleton when you look in the mirror, you know. It's not, not comfortable, but I knew I had hope in, in something way beyond myself. And that, that's why I, wasn't, I didn't have the anxiety that I probably would have dealt with years prior when I was in that cycle that would never stop. It's really interesting, Luke, as you're talking, because you laid things down, you know, back in Wisconsin, and he took you to South Florida, and you started to see some change, and then there's the hit of the diagnosis of Crohn's disease, which can take you back, but you have already felt transformation. So you were able to, like you said, you were smiling in the hospital. You're able to be filled with joy and, and just a peace because of the transformation that he's done in your heart. You're not accepting what the doctors are saying. You're believing and having faith that God's going to heal you. What is that journey like from 
staying with the grosses overnight to where you are now? Like what, what, what's that growth been? I would even say, here's another, another moment where I had to lay down my plan. So these doctors said that you need to go on these infusions. And I really wasn't interested in it because the first drug that I was on was actually a chemotherapy drug. It was originally used for cancer. And of course I did research and I'm like, man, this could have some really powerful side effects. So I was initially resistant to it, but here I was again, kind of like, all right, I'm not going to allow this to drag out. And I really felt like God was showing me it's not an either or thing. It's a both. So actually someone at the Harbor helped introduce me to a functional medicine doctor. So I was able to implement some more natural treatment combined with this very powerful treatment. And so it's been cool to see how God has used both as part of my journey. I felt like this has been the open door to my life to be able to share the gospel because people ask this question. They say, Luke, what does this practically look like? Like, how have you gotten better? And I share these two examples from a medical standpoint, natural medicine and these infusions, Western medicine. And I say, but there's a third, third leg to the stool. And that may be beyond reason for you, but between people praying for me and knowing that Jesus paid the price for me to actually be healed of something that I was told that I can't be healed from, those three things all together have played a role in my journey of becoming better. Mm-hmm. Actually getting told you're in remission. Your labs actually, my GI doctor told me that my labs are better than his. And if he didn't know that I ever was diagnosed with Crohn's, that he never in a million years would have even guessed that I have Crohn's. Dude, he's so good, man. That's amazing. People might not understand or fully grasp what it means Jesus as healer and God as healer. Can you share a little bit of your, your thoughts, your story? the testimony on how you've had to embrace and learn and go through that one of those features of him being your savior, him as healer. I mean, this is one that goes beyond, I think something that I can answer in its entirety because I don't have all the answers, but what I would say is you may be challenged in a way to, to give up something that you don't want to give up to create the right environment for your body to physically get better. And that may play a role in this, but I believe that's part of partnering with God. For me, I'll just give a really small example of what that meant. Growing up in Wisconsin, some may know, you know, cheese is like one of the the staples to living life in Wisconsin. Right, right. I literally, my mom would buy me five pound blocks of cheese. I would put cheese on anything and everything. So for me, part of in 2013, hitting rock bottom, a doctor said, you're, you're dealing with inflammation in your body. You need to stop eating gluten and dairy. And I'm like, what? Like that's, how's that even going to be possible? Like I literally eat cheese on everything. (laughs) So that's something that was just very practical. And again, I never said I'd never eat cheese, but I think if someone ever asked me the question, could you imagine a day in your life without eating cheese? I would have said, no, of course not. So I think the other part I would say is really being intentional in part of my healing journey has been, I I think of it as taking walks on the beach with God. When I was here and, you know, I wasn't in the place that I'm in now, I'm married and, and have a lot more people that I obviously know here. 
But in those early days, it was going and walking on the beach. And I felt like even since the, the first time I visited that God has spoken clearest to me at Fort Lauderdale Beach. For me, it's, it's felt almost tangible. And so I don't know what that practically looks like for other people. They could maybe do it in their backyard or in their bedroom or whatever it may be. But spending time with God, whether that's reading the Bible or allowing there just to be no noise, not going on a walk on the beach and listening to music or scrolling through social media and walking on a beach. I mean, walking on the beach by yourself and truly saying like, I'm just going to allow God to walk into this space. I think those are just some practical things as far as the healing, like what practically healing could look like for other people. I wanted to talk to you about business and success. You played baseball. I think I had a conversation with Ryan about this. Baseball is really simple in success. You get on base, you score runs, you win the game, winner, loser. I just want to know where has, or what is your definition of success now and how has it changed in your walk with the Lord and, and how the world might view success and how you might view success is, are they the same? Are they different? You know, can you just gen, just generally talk about success, business, baseball, the whole, your whole experience with that? So I would say the common, common factor in both baseball and business, you can be on a losing team, but you'll still have your own individual stats. You can work for a, a company that's not going in the right direction. You'll still have your individual stats. So I think the world's definition of success is that it's what did, what did you do? So what was your batting average? How much money did you make? How many promotions have you gotten? It's about accumulating. I mean, accumulating stats in, in, in baseball, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's those accolades that maybe also come along with it in business. Like I was saying, money's a clear scoreboard it can be about accumulation. And I, and I get that because I used to live in that place. I, I mentioned earlier, I had no shame in flaunting how well I was doing. How things have changed is that for me, I see business as just God's given me certain gifts. I work in finance. My brother's a pastor. My youngest brother's finishing med school. We're, all of us are very different. All of us have God-given potential and I believe that success is reaching whatever that God-given potential is. So whether that's in business, whether it's in any other sphere, that's what I think it, it practically looks like. I don't think that money is, is the clear litmus test at all, but I think money is something that God gives us and it gives, it's a way that he allows us to steward. And I, I believe that based on how we steward it, can be how God allows us to have more success or, or maybe we hinder ourselves from that success. And I've seen that in my own way. I mean, my wife and I have talked about this a lot. When we were dating, she specifically really challenged me. I mean, going through all of what I went through medically, I mean, I had more medical bills than, than I ever imagined. And it was tough. I'm not in the best place financially. And she really challenged me to say, Luke, are you tithing? And I told her, no. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I just, I'm trying to get out of this hole. And so, yes, I give, but I, I'm not giving. And she challenged me and I started tithing at a place where I was like, wow, this is really uncomfortable. And I've seen how God's blessed that. Like there's, there's things that really go beyond where I'm at. And since 
our firm got acquired by one of the largest firms out there. So there's just a lot of things that I think success is really in the day to day. It's our job to focus on reaching our full potential today and not trying to figure out, well, where can I be in five years or 10 years or all these things? Not that planning's bad, but like I said earlier, I think God often has bigger plans for us than we have for ourselves. You have all these transformations and you have been able to reap a lot of sowing that God's been doing in your, in your path with him and in, in your relationship with him. And my question is, how is that changing your environment? I'll tell you the first encounter I ever had with you. I, I don't even remember if you, or if you remember this, this must've been four years ago, right? When I first started going uh, to the Harbor, I finished wave one super me and my, my wife, we were like, yeah, let's serve. And they ask who wants to serve. Where do you want to serve? You want to serve uh, the greeting team? You want to serve in the cafe? And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll work on the greeting team. Sure, that sounds good. And that's when I first met you. It was January 1st or 2nd, like the first Sunday of the new year. And the amount of pressure and anxiety that I felt greeting people at the door was overwhelming to me. I realized it's not easy for me to say hi to people. I felt so much pressure. Like you're the first impression that people are going to get before they walk in. And it kind of dawned on me as I'm doing it. And you're very cool. You're like, oh yeah, it's great. It's so rewarding. And I'm like sweating and, you know, on the back of my neck doing this. Where are some areas where you've been able, your transformation has been able to blossom into helping other people or you're seeing it change your environment around you? I have been on the, the first impressions, the welcome team since shortly after moving here and, and going to Harbor. And I think this is just to speak this into anyone who is serving or who's contemplating serving. God will use it in ways that you don't even realize. And you're just, what you're just sharing with me is helping me recognize it because it's something that you've done for so long. You know, it's making an impact. But I think that's part of the thing is serving isn't about you and it's about planting seeds. And you may never see that tree actually blossom. You may never actually know how you impacted someone's life. So I guess that's just an interesting thing that, that you bring up. But for me too, as far as impacting other people, I think it's, it's recognizing the platform that you have, whether it's the coworkers that you come in contact with whether it's family members who don't know Jesus, it may be your neighbors, whatever it may be, I would encourage you and it, it'll look different for everyone. I guess for me, I haven't cared so much about sharing my whole health journey, but for other people, I understand like it's very sensitive and there's other things that probably wouldn't even be appropriate to, to share with people, but I've just decided to, to share that. I believe that some of the worst things that have happened in our lives, if we're willing to be vulnerable and share them with other people can make the biggest impact because I do have some very close people in my life who have seen the change in me and they're starting to wonder like, man, maybe, maybe God is real. Because if, if Luke's life can go from where it was to where it is now, there's no way he coordinated all of this. So I think for all of us, we have we have the opportunity to wake up every day and just say, you know what, this is a new opportunity and just be open to the opportunities that might fall into your lap, regardless of where you are in the grocery store at work. So I think 
serving doesn't have to be so, I mean, obviously, yes, Sunday morning is that opportunity, but that's a very short period of time in the big picture of our lives. Dude, I want to say thank you. Thank you for sitting here and sharing, lending to all the transformation that God's done in your life. It's been amazing to hear, and I know people who listen to it will feel the same way, so I just want to say appreciate it. Appreciate the chance to to share my story, and if anyone, anyone that has gone through some health things, I'm always an open book to have conversations with people. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Transformation Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.